And the good news is our first speaker is none other than Dave Holden. And Dave and Liz are great friends of King's. Dave constantly helps us keep thinking bigger as a church, to keep thinking ahead. And uh, here's the other thing about Dave. He's been leading for decades and decades now. And believe it or not, that that might sound funny, but as, as I look around Christendom and I see church leaders come and go, anybody who's been around for a long time, I think they have got stuff to teach us. And so I really want you to, to open your heart to Dave and to hear what he has to say this morning. So let's hear it for Dave. Thank you. And um, seriously think it's a great privilege um, for us to be here with you today. Um, so we've looked forward to this occasion for a long time. And here we are, and it's absolutely wonderful. Can we just pray together? Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for uh, the nearness of the touch of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that not only will this day be a day of information, but it will be a day of impartation. And that the things that we hear will somehow resonate in our hearts, even if there's far too much ground that's covered throughout a day like this. Nevertheless, you will really change our hearts and you'll do something in the lives of people at this, this day, this conference, that will be something that will be changed for a lifetime. Lord, seeds sown into our hearts that in years to come will bear fruit. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been given the privilege of speaking to you in this first session, and I was asked to speak on preparation for leadership, which is a bit sobering because there's a whole lot of people here that have been in leadership for quite a few years. Um, And so what I'm hoping is that if you've got a a passion to become a leader or you already are in leadership, everything I share with you is either going to be brand new and I need to really get this in my life, or if you're a few years in, it's a kind of, oops, I better check this out kind of moment to make sure that these foundations are really operating in my life and through me. So either way, whatever stage you are at leadership development, I'm trusting that what I share with you this morning will be very relevant to you. I just want to turn to one passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians um, and chapter 3. Fundamentally, uh, in a session like this, I can't um, kind of just keep going back and forth with Bible verses. I just want you to be aware that I am a Christian, (laughs) and therefore I'm biblical. And so actually what I'm hoping is loads of stuff I'm sharing is a biblical basis. If you want to go into this deeper, I think 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are outstanding um, examples of an older guy t- talking to a younger guy about the principles of leadership. And I love 1 and 2 Timothy, and I would encourage you. Uh, it's like one long exhortation. Timothy, make sure this, and don't forget yourself, and you need to get these things into your life. And so I'd love you, as part of your homework, to go and read 1 and 2 Timothy sometime in the next week or two. But I'll be going back to this particular scripture on a few occasions through this uh, word. And verse 4, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves. Your translation might have adequate, not that we are adequate in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I actually really love the title of this whole day, The Making of a Leader. 
And the reason I love it is because I guess there's a sense in which God is always helping you to be made into something that you're not yet. And so the making of a leader is a good phrase because we're all in the process of being made into what God wants us to be. As you've been told, I've been around, I've been full-time 40 years, that's a long time, but I don't feel that I've made it, I feel God is still making me to be the leader that he wants me to be. It's a process for all, all, all of us. It is a lifetime commitment. There's always new things to learn and things that you haven't understood And so one of the main things I want to say at the start of this whole theme which we're looking at of preparation, what are are the things we desperately need if we're going to be leaders in God's kingdom, in his church? The first thing I want to really state clearly by way of introduction is this, that leaders are not born leaders in God's kingdom. You can lead in all kind of areas of life, but when it comes to God's purposes and the way that he wants to use you and me, then we can't do it because we're just naturally gifted. It doesn't happen because we were born leaders. I've had people say to me, I don't understand this church. Um, They don't recognize me. I'm a born leader. And I thought, well, that's one of the reasons they don't recognize you. It's kind of like leaders are fashioned in God's kingdom. They're not born into leadership, which is kind of why God sometimes uses people who are not naturally leaders to become leaders in his kingdom. Doesn't the Bible say he's chosen the weak things of this world in order to shame the wise? It's like God's the potter and we're the clay and he gets hold of us and his his purpose is to fashion us. We need to be fashioned as leaders rather than just born leaders. Now if you were a really gifted person before you became a Christian, God doesn't despise this. So you think of someone like the Apostle Paul. I'm convinced one of the reasons God chose Paul was because of all the many gifts and attributes that he had. But we even know from Paul's life, he kind of disappears for years on end before he bursts onto the scene. Why is that? Because although he was naturally gifted, God wanted to work in his life to fashion him. In other words, if you've got natural gifting, it still needs to be sanctified. God will have to work on you in your natural gifting. So whether you're naturally gifted and you think, well, I always used to lead, yes, God might use that. Or you think, well, I've never led. God will also use that because all leaders are fashioned by God in his process. I often think of someone like Joseph. I, I, don't, I, I love Joseph, but I kind of feel sorry for him. You know, Joseph, the early years, didn't go down too well because the preparation for leadership doesn't seem to exist in Joseph. So he hears from God. He's obviously anointed. He's very prophetic. He bursts onto the scene and brings what is the word of the Lord, but it's just like he's just not ready to carry it out. So the, most of the rest of his life is God taking him, well done, Joseph, and fashioning him until all the things he prophesied actually did come to pass one day, but his whole attitude and demeanor is like, you're all going to bow down to me. He ends up when that actually, figuratively speaking, happens with a broken heart and an understanding of God's purposes. So I think God wants to fashion our lives. And if you want to lead, he will fashion you to do so. And if you're already leading, the work of fashioning has already become, begun. And I need to say this, fashion, God's fashioning of us comes through life not through meetings or conferences like today. I think today can really help and hopefully be something that's so formative in your life 
I think we do get fashioned a bit in meetings, you know, in worship and the word of God. I'm not despising any of those things, but the message I want you to know is outside of the meetings is where God really, really works on us. It's through life, through the things that happen in life, through the difficult times, through the times we choose and not choose, that God is in the process of fashioning us for his wonderful glory. And he fashions us with his timing and he fashions us with... Uh, his way of fashioning us and not our way. So I started to lead um, a church. My first form of leadership was at the age of 22. I'd just come out of theological college for three years studying theology. Um, that really prepares you for leadership. Well, not exactly. And then um, I, I then kind of a 22-year-old and I ended up leading a church of 120 people and I was single. And most of the congregation were 20 years old which is kind of how I got away with it. But someone mad enough called Terry Virgo actually believed that I could do this. And I have to say, I feel it was, I totally feel I was in the will of God and I totally feel that, that it was the right time for me and everything like that. But I have to say to you, I was not yet fashioned to be the leader that God wanted me to be. And the sad thing is, I therefore had to go through a whole load of things and my whole congregation had to all go through everything I was going through at the same time because I was just not ready. I just didn't have... God often does call you to do things where you're not quite ready because sometimes he uses the process of where you're not quite ready to teach you things. And as I look back on my life, I, I'm now aware now how... how how less fashioned I was back in those days for what God wanted me to do. Um, uh, we were doing a series of uh, in Psalms in my home church last year, and one of our great young preachers uh, was given one of the Psalms to preach, and he preached this uh, wonderful Psalm exegetically, brilliantly. But when it came to his illustrations of how he interpreted the Psalms, his illustrations were kind of just very strange and very weird and, and not actually very applicable to the congregation that was there. And I was sitting there thinking, this is a great sermon, but there's something quite miss, missing. I don't know what it is. And the following week, I was reading Tim Keller book on preaching. And um, when I was reading it, he actually gets to this particular chapter and he says, I don't think it's wise to give young men and women the Psalms to preach. I thought, this is really interesting. This is just last Sunday. He said, because they really don't have much experience of life. Whereas older people, when they preach the Psalms or they read the Psalms or share the Psalms, they know what it's talking about. And I thought, whoa, thanks. I wish I'd read that the week before I asked this guy to preach because there was nothing wrong with the preach. It was great, but the guy can't help it. He's 24 years old. He, he just hasn't lived life. He just hasn't been fashioned through, through what life has to bring to you. So I want to, in this session, suggest to you that there are three non-negotiable areas, three major foundations. I mean, there are many, many more, but I've only got time to concentrate on three. That we must have in the depths of our being, so that as God fashions us and as we go through all that life has for us, we will find that these foundations help us enormously. And all you hear on leadership today... And all the books you read and all the seminars and everything you can get on the internet, they're all massively helpful and important. But without these three areas that I'm about to suggest are vital for you, then I don't think you're going to make it. I mean, it's a sobering thing to say. But my life, as, as Dan's told you, has been around for a long time. My life, one of the sadnesses of my life is that it's peppered with people who once led and no longer lead. 
or people that were really passionate for the things of God and now just sit on the sidelines, barely. And so the long haul is very, very important. And for those who did not make it, I guarantee that somewhere along the line, one of these three things was just misplaced or just taken for granted or wasn't in action. So the first non-negotiable for me is the word intimacy. Intimacy is absolutely vital for you and me because you'll know by now, those of you in leadership, about to go in leadership, all sorts of demands and responsibilities come your way. All sorts of voices start to demand your attention. All sorts of deadlines and responsibilities and also a sense of what I'm called to do and how I'm going to do it will come your way. It's interesting, in that passage that we just read uh, together, it says this, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that comes from ourselves. And there's a hint straight away that you and I are not up to the job on our own. In other words, the only way we get to lead in God's kingdom is when we have an intimacy with the God whose kingdom it belongs to. And so therefore, right from the start, there is a calling for us to live a hidden life, a Jesus-centered life. And here's the bit that's really difficult. And no one, not even your wife, your husband, no one is really going to know what that looks like. Because the word intimacy is a hint. It's intimate. It's between you and God. And, and you know, people around you, friends, might have an awareness of, of, of whether you're intimate or not. But at the end of the day, this is something that only you know. And we live in an age where we love to be seen. And everything we do wants to be seen. And I think this is the big challenge to this non-negotiable area. People um, walk away from intimacy with God from devotion with God because they think, well, well, I can short-circuit it and I can do the things that God's called me to do and I don't really need this. And it's a disaster every time that you think like that. It's important that we understand that the, the motivation for all that we do comes out of being overwhelmed at the grace of God and the fact that I get to enjoy this relationship with God that no one can take away from me. And, and you live your life as a leader overwhelmed about how did I ever get to lead anything? Why me? And no one knows the answer as to why you. It's just called the overwhelming grace of God. So why is this so important? Well, the key to fruitful leadership is never public. It's always private. And that I know is a loaded statement, but I want you to note that because that should carry you through the rest of your life. It's painful to watch people in the end who have only a public ministry without a private intimacy with God. Why is it painful? Because you can't live on empty. You can't just survive like that. You can survive for a little while because you know how to do it, you know the ropes, you know how to look good. But at the end of the day, the depth of your intimacy with God is the thing, the only thing to guarantee you being around in 10 years' time or 20 years' time or 30 years' time. This, this is about the preparation for leadership, but we want to prepare you for leadership that lasts. And so because it's for leadership that lasts, this non-negotiable intimacy is really important. And I have to say to you, the people that I'm in leadership that I admire most and are still here is because they have made this decision. That intimacy... Trumps everything else. 
Anything else I do publicly or otherwise, it will never replace this intimacy with God. Devotions mean more than anything else. This is the fuel of everything that you and I do. This is the source. This is the life. And you haven't got the fuel and the source of the life. You'll just have the trappings of a public ministry. Why don't leaders last? This is the number one issue. Somewhere down the line, they stopped walking with God. Somewhere down the line, something else became more important than intimacy. They just started to wing it. They just knew how to preach. They knew how to minister to people. They knew how to counsel people. But they, they stopped this lifeline, this fuel of relationship with God in that sense. Why are leaders not as effective today as they used to be? Here's the key. The unseen and not the seen is the first non-negotiable thing for preparation for leadership. And as I've said already, that can be really tough. We live in a visual world. We live in a public world, a celebrity world. We live in the world where everyone's looking at you and thinking, how well are you doing? And the temptation to go there and not to bother with that intimacy that no one can see is really important. I, I came to, I, I've come to various crisis points in my life in terms of leadership. And this issue I'm talking about probably has been quite central in, in a lot of it. Just simply in terms of, of a choice. In other words, you come to a point in your life when, when you're juggling lots and lots of things. There are lots of voices, lots of responsibilities, lots of demands, lots of people, agendas, diaries, things that come into your already busy life. And you're juggling all these things and you're thinking, well, what's going to go? I can't do all of this. This is not sustainable. And I've come to two or three times in my life, I think, where I've realized the one thing that cannot go is this intimacy with God. Something else is going to have to shift. I'd rather that doesn't, doesn't go so well and people are thinking, what's happened to Dave? He's not doing so well publicly at the moment. I'd rather live like that and not have compromised this intimacy with God as the living God. And so a decision, and it is like that, a decision's constantly made to choose this and not to go for that. So I've, I've just got some points here, very quickly. I've only got time to, to breeze over. And each one of these points is a sermon in itself. This is a day that's going to be like this. <laughs> just thundering through so much material. But these are things in my life to do with intimacy that I've found have really helped me. The first is the word abiding. We all know the passage in John chapter 15, but it's absolutely a key verse in Jesus' ministry to those who were followers of Jesus and would be leaders in his kingdom. And that is this, he draws you back and again and again to this whole thing of you are a branch, he is the vine, you don't have the life, you can't produce fruit. You can only produce fruit and have life by having the sap of Jesus' life through you. He is the vine and we are the branches. And Jesus said, and apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you want to be a leader, your intimacy with the vine is absolutely crucial because apart from him, you can do nothing. And it's an important thing to see. And it really helps me over the years. You don't become fruitful because you're a Christian. You become fruitful because you're a Christian who chooses to abide in the vine. And they are two different things. Why are there so many Christians that are not being very fruitful? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work it out. They've just stopped abiding. When I've looked at my life and thought, why am I not being... Oh, yes, I've stopped abiding. 
And I've had moments in my life where that passage, John 15, has been massively crucial. God's brought me right back and reminded me of my intimacy with Jesus, the very life. And abiding is, is, is a great word, or the another word is remaining. Same thing. It's about not a 10-minute quiet time in the morning. It's about a constant practicing of the presence of God. It's a constant decision to abide in Jesus. And every time as a branch, I I choose to abide in him throughout the day, morning, afternoon, evening, sitting in meetings, outside of meetings, conversations with people, I'm consciously abiding in the vine. All the time I'm doing that, I'm saying, I'm dependent upon you, Jesus. And every time I do that, I'm saying, I'm dying to my independence. This is real intimacy. Not a 10-minute chat in the morning, but a a, a learning to abide constantly in the vine throughout your life, every day. Here's the second thing. Second thing for me has been worship. I'm talking still about intimacy. The second thing, this this point one, by the way, just to let you know, is much bigger than the other two points I'm going to be making, if you're worrying about the time. So I I, I might even stay here the whole time, because this is so crucial. (laughs) But the next thing is worship. For me, again, it's, it's, it's been an awareness that intimacy expressed itself most in my own worship of God and my own intimacy with him. My story is that in 2007, I hit a burnout. I mean, I just, my body just stopped. I was out of action for at least six months. Couldn't do anything, couldn't minister, couldn't read, couldn't preach, had to lay down, I stopped traveling. I just had this period of time when I was just locked away. And I... I, was, um, I would get up in the morning and physically and emotionally and, and everything just totally kind of drained, but spiritually still kind of connected, which was a bit strange. And I'd go into my office downstairs and I'd close the door and I'd sit. And I was so exhausted, I couldn't really read very much, I couldn't pray too well. But the one thing I could do was worship, so I would worship. I would sing, I would worship, and spend time in the presence of God. And I'd do that for as long as I felt I could do, and then I stopped, and then I thought, right, now let's get on to something else. But I was too exhausted to do anything else. And so I felt God say, just keep worshipping. And for me, it was months of learning how to restore this intimacy with God of worship. And in the middle of this, a friend of mine sent me a prophetic word via email, which is great fun, because you can do that these days. And she, she was a person I've known for many years and trusted. I'd, I'd known her bring really wonderful prophetic words. She said, I've just been praying for you. I've heard that you're not in a good place. She said, and I saw a picture of you. And in this vision, this picture of you, you were kind of like a Fred Astaire kind of character with a top hat and tails. I thought, I really like this. Keep going. This is really good. And, it, it, and, and you were on a stage and you were in a massive theatre and had a spotlight and you were doing a kind of dance singing routine. And your face was turned upwards and you were smiling like this. She said, the only problem was there wasn't a single person watching you. There was no one in the theatre. It was totally empty. And then she was very brave. She said, I feel God wants to say to you, the days of performing in front of people are over and you will live before an audience of one. And it was a major shift in the entirety of my life because I knew, because of my experience, what it was like to be before an audience of one. Because it was just me and worshipping God. I didn't have any fellowship with anybody else. And from that day to this, all these 10, 11 years later, I have endeavoured to live as a worshipper of God. There are too many leaders that don't worship on their own. There's worship in meetings. Have you ever been... I sometimes sit next to non-worshipping leaders in meetings and they're shuffling around 
and they're looking at the watch and they're kind of not happy with how the bass guitarist is doing this morning and uh, they're kind of looking around. I was very happy with how you were doing this morning. <laughs> In fact, you were just really, all bass guitarists are cool, but you were really cool this morning. So. Not that I was looking at you because I was so lost in worship. <laughs> but you sit next, or you sit next to the, the, the leader who's obviously preaching that morning. And he's obviously preaching that morning because he's just not worshipping because he's just, you know, sometimes he sits down. I don't think you know that your congregation watches you as a leader as much as they do. That sends a message. The message is this isn't really important. It's what's coming later that's really important, which is wrong. And so, and so an in, a leader who doesn't worship except when we get together corporately is in trouble. You see, because worship does amazing things. For example, worship changes your perspective of life. The moment you start worshipping, you're thinking of a very big God and you suddenly become very small. It magnifies the Lord. That's what worship is. Come, magnify the Lord with me. As soon as you magnify the Lord... He's the one who's magnified. You're not making him any greater than he is, but your perspective of him changes. There are so many leaders that get so overwhelmed by problems in life. It's because they've stopped worshipping. Because the moment you start worshipping, everything gets into shape. It just seems to be right. Worship lifts burdens. Worship gives direction. Worship reminds you of truth. Worship just kind of... Uh, it unclutters your life. It's just so vital. It's so wonderful. Do you know, I have to say this, I have never read a book on leadership that's mentioned the centrality of worship in a leader's life. So if ever I get, if ever I get to write a book on leadership, which is what I'd one day love to do, I think this might be chapter one. Because I just see this is so key in terms of intimacy. I must move on. It's a big subject. But if you want to be effective as a leader on the big preparation, get worshipping. Start worshipping on your own. Be a worshipper of God. It's wonderful. The third thing is this. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. We all know that we, if we don't eat, we get malnourished. We can't function properly. So obviously a big key for leadership is constantly coming back to Jesus and feeding on him. And after the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, look at that, to the world. They said to him, Sir, always give us this bread, because he didn't understand. Jesus said to him, said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never ever thirst so a massive encouragement for you and me today is that we must feed on Jesus who is the bread of life and feeding on him and coming to him is so important I fear that as leaders we sometimes settle for crumbs crumbs are not bad things crumbs are the latest thing that you're talking about as a church Crumbs is the latest thing. You know, my own church at the moment, we've got this exciting thing going on called growth pipelines. And when we get together, it's all about how we bring people into discipleship and into leadership. It's brilliant. It's fantastic stuff. But there's sometimes in meetings, I think we get more excited about this than we do about Jesus. And then you realize this isn't the bread of life. These are exciting crumbs. You go, you go in, if we live on a diet of the latest internet thoughts. It's crumbs. It's not wrong. 
It can be helpful, but they can't replace the bread of life. So you and I, if we want to grow in our intimacy with God, we must learn that Jesus' bread, you can come and feed on him every day. Why is this so important where you can only give what you have? Back to our verse this morning, 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, we've been made to be uh, ministers of the new covenant, and it describes what that looks like. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So as leaders... If we are in the spirit, we will give life to people. Well, you can't give life to people if you're not receiving life. Guess what? Jesus is the bread of life. Feed on him and you've always got something to give. Stop feeding on him. You've got nothing to give. So the bread of life is really, really important. The reservoir of our lives needs to be constantly filled. It's intimacy that makes that happen. You cannot give what you do not have. And you'll know by now, those of you in leadership, that a lot of the challenges of leadership is you give out, you give out, you give out, you give out, you give out. And you can't just keep giving out if you're not receiving yourself. So this is why intimacy, intimacy is so vital. The fourth thing, I'm rattling through these, is the role of the Holy Spirit, who is called to be our helper. So this is another big subject, obviously, and many of you have heard this sort of stuff before, but just to say simply in terms of intimacy, I cannot do what God has called me to do without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not an experience, he's a person. And so you and I are invited to walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be being filled with the Spirit, constantly keeping in step with the Spirit, constantly depending on the Holy Spirit. We should be constantly saying, if you're, if you're feeling you're in leadership and you're out of your depth, that's a very good thing to feel. And when you do, you'll be constantly saying, help me, Holy Spirit, help me, Holy Spirit. I can't do this without your anointing. I need you to be with me. And the final thing is this, identity. Identity comes from intimacy. What do I mean by that? Well, intimacy reminds you that it's who you are and not what you do that's really important. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. In other words, it's not what I do that makes me what I am. It's what I am because of the grace of God and mercy upon my life. So many leaders tragically find their identity in what they do. So here's the question. What happens when what you do is taken away from you? Suddenly your identity falls apart. It's like people are really nervous. If I don't keep doing this, but you see, we're called to transition. We're called to raise up people. We're called to good leaders pass on what they've given to others and encourage them to come through, which means you're always handing over to other people. Other people are doing what you used to do because you're moving on to do something else. So your identity cannot be in what you do. It has to be in who you are. To know, what I, to know who I am is vital. I've gone through times in my life where I've realised that I do what I do because it's a function, or I do what I do because it's a title that people have given me. But you'll know if you're around for long enough that things change. Titles get removed, functions change, you give things away, you move on to something else. There was a period of my life about 15 years ago where I handed over this and I handed over that and I was doing this and that changed. I went and lived in another part of the world and came back and everything. And, and, and everything had been gone away. So I, I had no identity in things I do. Someone actually came to me and said, what do you do these days? Because they worked it out. I didn't do anything particularly because they'd all gone away. I suddenly found it's a crisis moment in my life. My goodness, what is my identity? My identity is not what I do. My identity is who I am in God. First non-negotiable, intimacy. Second non-negotiable for preparation for leadership is knowing your calling. Now, I have real sympathy for a number of you in this room 
for a number of you in this room, are younger than me. And uh, I have sympathy in terms of you might not be able to answer the question, I know what my calling is, because it's a bit of a journey for many of us. It's a bit of a discovery. It takes time to really know what God has called you to do. But in preparation for leadership, my encouragement is find out as soon as you can. Because knowing your calling in God really helps you and helps you to avoid an awful lot of damage. For if you're doing something you're not called to do in the name of leadership, it won't work. So you've got to know, Lord, you should be asking and praying constantly. I don't mean in a big intensity kind of way, but saying, Lord, please would you teach me? What is it you've called me? What are the gifts? What's the part I've got to play? Because this is, for me, if if intimacy has been vital, then for me, preparation is beginning to discover the things that God has called you to do and discerning what that is and having confirmation of what that is. Two things I found constantly, I think this is This is totally biblical, um, that confirm your calling. One is grace, that God gives you to do what you're called to do, and the other is gifting. We're back to that sense of anointing. If you're doing something and you don't have grace for it and you don't have the gift for it, then there's a hint there that you're probably doing something that God has not called you to do. And when you haven't got grace and you haven't got gifting, then all you've got left with is a lot of sweat and tears and hard work. And so the discovery, this is what God has called me to do, is actually crucial. I love the way that Paul expresses again in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, I work harder than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I think it's just a wonderful phrase. It's like, I've often looked at that phrase, but Paul, you discovered a secret. You kind of just discovered what you were made to be or what you were called to be. And although it looks like really hard work, you didn't feel like it was. It's like you were buoyed along through life by the gifting and by the grace of God in your life to do what what you're called to do. It's interesting, in Philippians 3, Paul cries out as he's in prison. He says, that I may lay hold of that for which I've been laid hold of in Christ Jesus. And I think what he's saying at that moment is, I'm so grateful that you've laid hold of me, but why? Now, we all know the, you know, we all know the Christian answers to that. You know, it's obvious. But he's really saying, but what is the particular thing that you've called me to do? And you read passages like Romans 1, and you discover that he discovers what it is. He said, I am set apart for the gospel. So Paul discovers that the major thing in his life, more than church planting or miracles is the constant proclamation of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Then he says, and I'm called to preach the gospel as an apostle. That's interesting. So Paul discovers his gift is an apostolic gift, which shapes the way that he lives. And then in the same passage, he says, to the, to primarily to the Gentiles. So this is really interesting. So Paul is discovering what his calling is in God. It's not just he's available for everyone everywhere. I am particularly called for the gospel. I am an apostle. And primarily, I'm going to the Gentiles. Others will go to the Jews and other people. I will primarily, because God's called me to do this. In another passage, he says, I'm a wise master builder. He's learned that part of his gifting is to build what God has given to him. Once you've discovered, boiled it down to what your calling is, what your shape is, what your part you have to play is, my appeal to you is stay there and say no to many other things that will be demanding of your life. Not that you're not willing to do them, but you've learned I am not called and anointed to do that particular thing. You know, we're in the body of Christ. Hey-ho, that means you don't have to do everything. 
There are other people better than you at doing other things. I'm surrounded by people that do things much better than me. I'm surrounded by people who look at what I do and they go, I have no idea how you do what you do. And I'm not even thinking like that because it's the grace and the calling of God. What they don't know is I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, I have no idea what you do. I would rather stand up and preach in front of 5,000 people than work with 10 seven-year-olds on a Sunday morning for an hour. <laughs> that is the thing that would absolutely scare me stupid. I just, I just don't know how you do that. You have to understand what God has fundamentally called you to do. And while we're on this, here's another little vital thing to learn. God doesn't need you. You're not indispensable. So when you're looking at things and think, oh, I'm not sure I'm called and anointed, well, God's not asking you to. Well, someone's got to do it. Yeah, but it's not you. <laughs> yeah, but if I don't do it, and you know what happens to good leaders? They can kind of do a lot of things. So, well, they're not as good as me, so I might as well do it. Yeah, but you're not anointed to do it. And, and you're robbing someone else. Leaders can get in the way, robbing someone else of doing what God's called them to do. Maybe another vital lesson in this is just that it's not down to you because it's not yours. Again, I love that phrase. Uh, if you're just starting out on leadership, please learn this one as quickly as you can. 2 Corinthians 3, and, and, and that, those refrain, who is sufficient for these things? Who is adequate for these things? We're not adequate. We're not sufficient in of ourselves. And I say to young leaders that I'm working with, I spend a lot of my time with younger leaders, I say to them, you know, that passage of scripture is really important because you need to learn to be ruined as early as you possibly can be. And you get ruined when you know that what God's called you to do, you are not able to do. What a great place to, that, to be. Because that is when you're holy. God, if you've called me to do this, I feel inadequate. Good. But I believe that my adequacy is in you and in you alone. What you've called me to do, you will call me to do. We have to learn we're jars of clay. We have to learn we're weak. We have to learn we're not special. I love that passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul is arguing about the super apostles that have come along. These super apostles are not really of God, but they must have been moving in miracles and their teaching was amazing. They were very impressive publicly. Back to public again. And they're arguing about we are the real thing and Paul is just a nobody. And you think, well, Paul's going to come thundering in now with how dare they and look at what I've done and I've accomplished. And do you know what? The only appeal to the badge of authenticity to be apostolic is my weakness. The very one thing that the super apostles never ever talked about. He knew that this was not of himself but was of God only. And he argues the power of God is released right there. Where in my weakness, God's power is made real. See, it's not your authority it's God's authority in you. Someone said to me, I read this article once, and it just really struck me. It was like, there's an article about who gets the glory, you or God. And he just said, you know, the one who starts everything and the one who finishes everything gets the glory. And this article really, this is years ago, I read it, it's lived with me ever since. You and I don't get to finish stuff. And you need to learn to do that in leadership. Because if you finished it, all the glory would come to you. There's only one person who finishes, the author and the finisher of all things, and that's God. And you don't get to finish things because he does. He's the finisher of everything. What a great lesson to learn in leadership. 
when you think, oh, it's not finished, it's, I've got to do this, it's all dependent upon me. No, you can walk away from it because God gets all the glory. Non-negotiable number three. God's resources are enough. Intimacy, discovering God's calling, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. There's an underpinning foundations of anyone called to any form of leadership, whatever it might be. And incidentally, all these principles are are valid for everything you're going to hear to say, even in the business world, if you're a Christian, all these kind of things. The third thing is this. You need the non-negotiable understanding that God's resources really are enough. All that we need for what we're called to do in leadership is found in him. Let me quickly suggest to you three areas whereby we discover God's resources are enough. The first is this. His presence is enough for everything you will ever face. The great thing about leadership in the church that Jesus is building is it's that he is with you, that he is enough for everything you and I face, everything we're called to do. So therefore, what's our calling? Our calling is to appropriate his presence in our lives, to lean on him, depend on him. You know, like Moses said, unless you go with us, we won't move from here. Good leaders are like that. They understand that you're calling me now to do this thing. I'm going out on the limb. I've never done this before. But it's not on my shoulders or down to me. It's that your presence is with me, appropriating that presence. And in the presence of God, you hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. I don't know about you, but I'm finding recently, I need to hear the voice of God. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. In other words, what I hear his voice saying to me. And as leaders, we must be leaders who are constantly hearing the voice of God, not doing something because we've had so much experience. We now know how to do this. We need God's voice speaking to us. When we're relying on the presence of God, it reminds us that his shoulders are really what's important and not our shoulders. It's, it's, it's learning that in the presence of God, there are wonderful resources. And we, you know what many of these resources are. But for example, the promises of God. By faith, you can receive the promises of God. We need to be drenched in the promises of God because they're part of his presence and his resources. Then there's the word of God. You know, leaders who don't live on this day by day, week by week, are people that will really begin to suffer. Because if we live by the word of God daily, it will be a constant supply for us of the nearness and the presence and the power of God. The second area in God's resources are enough is the, his body on earth, the body of Christ, is enough so that you and I will never go it alone See, a lot of the teaching in this session, and no doubt throughout today, is about you. There's a lot of teaching about you as a leader. The reality is, particularly in the New Testament, it's an, awfully, an awful lot about us and not a lot about you. Now, we need, we're individuals, so we need to teach one another as individuals. But if you think that leadership in God's kingdom is about you being a loner, then, then that would be very, very sad. God fits you together with other people. Team is everywhere in scripture. Dependency upon one another. I love that phrase that comes a few times in the New Testament. We are individually members of one another. I love it because we are still individuals. You don't lose your individuality when you come into the kingdom of God. But you're not independent. You are individually members of one another. 
I, I am absolutely open about the fact I can't do what I do without other people. I'm weak. I need people. We can't do this without others. And so the body of Christ is part of God's resources for us to discover how we should live as those who lead. And can I just throw one thing in really quickly? I have found that, that when, you, when you do function in the body of Christ, God gives you mentors or spiritual fathers and mothers to help you along the way. We need this in our lives. We need to have people who are mentors to disciples and trusters. That's a good word because it's often mentioned in 1 to Timothy, entrusting. And as a 22-year-old starting off all those years ago, if I got one thing that was right, almost everything else was wrong, but if I got one thing, I got two things right, I got married. And um, the, second thing, <laughs> the second thing was that I just knew I needed someone to father me and God. I needed a spiritual mentor. And I got it right from the word go. I've always had people mentoring me throughout the whole of my development right up to today in terms of leadership. And now I spend a lot of my time mentoring other people, but I'm still looking to others. I think when you're in the body of Christ, you're always looking, watching, learning, eager to grow in your gift, reading, listening. Discipleship is more of an attitude than anything else. It's a posture. It's kind of like, here I am 40 years later, I'm desperate to learn from other people. I submit my life to people who know more than I do. I want to keep on learning. And the final thing is this, God's resources are enough. When we understand that in God's resources there's wisdom, and this wisdom is enough to teach you and me how to live and not to neglect ourselves. This final point, and I'm running out of time, is a day's worth in itself. <laughs> in fact, let's just forget all the other speakers and let me just keep going all throughout the whole day. It's just how to live. This is really, really practical, but I have to just say this as I come to a close. So many leaders struggle because they haven't understood their pace and their rhythm of life. They live crazy lifestyles. They just don't look after themselves. You know, if, you, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy, you'll see the phrase again, do not neglect yourself, do not neglect yourself, watch after yourself. Why is that there? Because that's vital if you're going to be in this for the long haul. Jesus models this. I think some of our, we follow models. Some of us follow missionary kind of models of people who were just crazy and burnt out and died when they were 32. I have no intention of following that model. And I get to Jesus... And I see he's the one I'm following and he's never in a rush. He's got a good, he's always going away from the crowd. He's spending time, he's pacing, he's got rhythm. Uh, we, we just need to understand that we are called to look after ourselves. Liz and I were at the privilege of being in Mozambique back in July. So some wonderful people who are just doing, I think, some of the most wonderful kingdom expressions of life that I've ever seen. Amazing. Just changing a whole part of that country. It's remarkable. But we found them to be people that were completely on the edge of burnout, exhausted, tired. We'd actually been brought in to kind of do a retreat with all these people. 
And the sad thing is that they'd neglected themselves and so they were giving out all the time and some of them were having to leave and some of them were physically burnt out. They couldn't function anymore. It's just a picture, once again, I've seen this throughout my life, of people who get burnt out because they don't actually learn how to pace and how to know the rhythm of their lives. And you and I need to stop comparing ourselves with other people and the way they live. That's a disaster. And come to a place of this is me and how I live. You need to learn to know yourself. It's taken me years to get to learn to know myself, to have emotional intelligence, to understand how I function. How I, I wish I'd learned this in the early years. It just didn't happen. But I've had to go through that life. And I've had to understand about priorities, my marriage, my children, the work and ministry, and what comes first, and how we monitor all these kind of things, friends in our life. Understanding what energizes you. I quickly understood there are some friends of mine who love meetings. They get energized with meetings. Give me another meeting. Can it be longer than the one before? And I just didn't, I didn't function like that. And I realized one day I get energized by not being in meetings. So I get into meetings that are fantastic, and then I have to go and re Some of my friends, oh, they, it's the meeting. You just are so different from one another. You have to learn how to energize yourselves. What energizes you? What does you good? What do you enjoy? What stills yourself within? Amen. I wish at 22 I'd heard someone speak a lot of these things then. It might have saved me some heartache and some difficulty. But I hope and trust that some of these things will be a foundation. There will be years to come when some of the things I've mentioned, you will hit the wall over. My prayer is that these non-negotiable areas will be so deeply embedded in you, you'll find all the resources that you need right there and then. Amen.